Welcome, friends, to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm writer Luke Elliott. And I'm filmmaker James Bailey. And we are off to New York City this week. Right now, we're having fun. Maybe we're uh, in Central Park or something at the Strand. <laughs> I want to go to the Strand bookstore while I'm there. There's so many things we want to do. Go do the touristy stuff, but do other kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, maybe go to be some, some museums or something. Um, I, hopefully, we're having a great time. Uh, while this episode's coming out. We appreciate your patience with us as we release back-to-back from the Vault episodes. Um, This week, we are going with The Haunting, the 1963 adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Um, And if you've been following our social media and stuff, you may have seen that at some point, I went on the Why the Book Wins podcast and talked about this film with Laura from uh, over there, who's a friend of the show. And um, this is when we covered it. So this came before that. And uh, I remember we had a good time with this version, and it's the, the a lot more um, faithful version of Shirley Jackson's novel. Super notable director, Robert Wise, director of West Side Story, The Sound of Music, The Andromeda Strain. Yeah. I think you kind of blew my mind with, when, you, when you brought that up in the episode. I did not know that. <laughs> if you want to know another one that he directed in 1963, check this out. Yeah, absolutely. And I will just put out one more time. Um, we need comments on our Patreon poll... Uh, we need comments on our post. It's on our Patreon. It is for our quarterly projects. Do suggestions on there. And then not only write any suggestions you have on there, but vote for suggestions that you agree with. Um, those are due by the 18th of March. Um, and then we will put a poll up from that will run from the 19th to the 23rd for our patrons to decide. It'll be the top four vote getters. Um, we'll then go to a final poll that will then determine our first quarterly project, which we will do when we get back from New York City. So please take a chance, take a moment to go and help affect what we cover on this podcast. This is now the time to do it. Yeah, I'm excited to see what the community comes up with. Me too. All right, enjoy this uh, previous Patreon exclusive. This week, we are revisiting Hill House. We're going back to Shirley Jackson's story, this time adapted by Robert Wise. Does that name ring any bells for you? For me? No, I don't think so. Well-known director, but some of his famous credits are he directed West Side Story and also The Sound of Music. Really? Okay. Yeah, massive. And then uh, he he won the Academy Award for Best Film Editing for Citizen Kane. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this guy's worked on some pretty big deal movies. Big time. Yeah, I I was reading that at one point, Robert Wise, I think it was in the 70s, he was the president of the Directors Guild of America. Massive and an important responsibility too. And like, you know, a lot of people look to somebody like that. And then eventually he became the president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences from 1985 to 88. Wow. Okay. Very cool. Very involved in the film community. Yeah, uh, I am a little embarrassed that I didn't know. I mean, the name sounds somewhat familiar, but other than that, I, I had no Honestly, idea. yeah, no, it was kind of the same for me as well. Like, I'd heard the name, and then, like, when I I realized when he was the editor of Citizen Kane that that's where I had heard before. Okay. Um, I do want to say Happy Halloween to any of our listeners who get this. Um, I, I'm not sure when it's going to come out, actually, but it will be maybe on Halloween Day. Uh, and if so, Happy Halloween. Um, and if you listen to it later, I hope you had a good one. Um, this is uh, kind of fun because it's our our first really foray into horror for the month. 
And usually we do something like far more horrific <laughs> in October. Um, but it's cool to revisit uh, this book um, because it was an absolute favorite for me, at least from this year. Loved it. And um, that was this year, right? Have I got my years right? <laughs> I believe so, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, it, yeah, so much fun. And this movie is far more faithful than the Mike Flanagan adaptation. So... Well, we're not going to worry about spoilers for this old movie. Um, if you are interested in reading Shirley Jackson's novel, this discussion will spoil the novel because the, the plot is almost identical uh, with a few exceptions. So just be aware of that. Um, what were your general thoughts on watching this 1963 black and white uh, adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House? I feel like I had heard of The Haunting because that's what mm -hmm. this film is called, The Haunting. Oh, we should say there is a 1999 adaptation with the same name starring like Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta jones um, Which I have I not saw seen. That. I think I saw that when it came out in the theaters. Um, that movie is not very good. I remember having <laughs> issues with it even in 1999 when I was far less critical of movies. Um, yeah. I, at some point, I would like to watch that again now that I've seen this movie because I think that would be a really interesting comparison. But um, yeah, this movie, way better. <laughs> just I'll just go ahead and say that way better than that movie for what it's worth, in my opinion. So, you know, it, it's a difficult task to try to pull off a story like Shirley Jackson's Haunting of Hill House. But I think David Wise did a good job because he was, although you can't get the specifics, the spiral that we get of our main character, Eleanor, you get you can kind of get some of it in the story and honestly the the biggest representation on for on film for me was vi seeing the hill house visually the way that they decided to shoot it and honestly kind of cutting edge for the time period they were they were using like certain lenses that were they're like lending to like distortion in the image a little bit and some of those like intense sequences the way that they were cut together i was just like I, it felt very modern and uh you know 63 like i think there was the option to shoot in in color at that point but the decision was made to shoot in black and white because i think it does add something to the story it's you know that creepiness the the contrast on the walls at night and with like the lights coming through the the different rooms and things like that um and they yeah. shot it in a way that like added to claustrophobic for the most part you can see the ceiling in a lot of shots mm. which you know the kind of lends to like the fr in the frame if you could see the ceiling it's you know kind of closing that frame we, in we talked about this in something i can't remember what but yeah like um when you can see the ceiling that's kind of noteworthy because usually on sets they'll or not usually but often on sets they won't have a ceiling um, because it won't be in the shot anyway, so they often won't yeah. worry about it. If you're if you're in a soundstage, they'll have lights hung up there. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah, that's where you put a lot of your lighting. Um, so it's noteworthy, right? It's like a it makes it feel more real in a way that it, that I um, appreciate. And the other thing I noticed, um, I just want to get it up, get it out up front. There's there's mirrors in almost yeah. every scene. Yes, and so um, well. even at times there's a mirror within a mirror, which I thought was really mm -hmm. cool. And you could see the like like touches of the actors moving and it and it lent a sense of like in Flanagan's adaptation there's like figures and things in the background and right. I was kind of looking for that but I was like I don't know if they're going to be doing that in the 60s version probably not but what it what it did do was add that little bit of like oh there's a little bit of movement somewhere in the room I wasn't expecting right. and it would be a reflection and then also you have the whole thing with mirrors being like a, a window into another realm and like all this stuff that that works really well with mirrors so I thought that part was really cool 
I definitely picked up on that too. The the mirrors and the ways that they were using it, and and honestly, this this film came out in the sixties. The tension is still there in a horror oh, film sure. that that I think a lot of horror films you'll go back and they'll they, they won't hold up in ways. And this one, uh, coming to getting to the climax of the story, legit tense. Like I was like, wow, this really holds up. And that that brings me to something that I wanted to talk about with uh, the legacy of this film is that. People, directors like Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg have said that it's like uh, a formative film for them. Martin Scorsese even goes as far as to place The Haunting first on his list of the 11th scariest horror films of all time. That's awesome. And, and honestly, I think well-deserved because I'm not someone... We talked about this a little bit in our Thing from Another World, maybe, episode, uh, or Last Man on Earth. Both of those have been kind of throwback uh, black and white films that we've covered as bonus episodes. I'm not someone who has watched a lot of older films like this um, from from sort of the black and white era. And often when I do, I struggle to connect with them in the same way that I do just co- films that are in color and more modern. Um, but I didn't have that problem with this movie, honestly, other than a few almost more cultural things that seemed very old fashioned to me. There's also like the the acting of the time is very yeah. dramatic and comes from stage. So there's that. Well, especially um, Julie Harris uh, as yeah. as uh, Nell, which we'll talk about. But um, the point being that this movie, I, I had a good time watching it, and it felt like a, a really cool movie to be watching this time of year. And I was pleased to see a, you know, mostly faithful adaptation of Jackson's novel. Um, in some ways, I don't think it was as successful at certain things, but um, other things were, were really cool, and I, I loved seeing it on screen. Um, and the little thing, little bit of, I didn't do research, but I just read a little bit about the movie at one point, and I saw that like its its um, a- appreciation has grown over time. Like I yeah. think people have looked at it and been like, this movie is actually really good, and and it was I think an important film. And uh, e- even now is listed among a lot of top like horror films of all times will yeah. list this movie among them. I also saw it on the list of like 1001 films to see before you die kind of list and that kind of thing. Like it's all over the place. And um, the legacy of that, especially uh, like in horror, like ho- I-, I feel like if we go to watch 90s horror right now, there's going to be movies that really don't hold up and are just laughable. Oh, for sure. Well, for one, like the special effects, um, because there it, there's very little because of the time, right? Um, it makes it kind of timeless. Whereas, yeah, a lot of stuff from the 90s, especially there was this like dawn of CGI, right? Where it was like, we can now make a real wispy ghost come through a wall. So let's do it. Um, and you look at it now and it looks terrible. <laughs> like A lot of that stuff is, is, and I'm sure the 1999 film is filmed with some stuff like that. Um, whereas this is a lot more subtle. And, and that subtlety is reminiscent of the book, right? Like, there's not a lot of big scares in the book. It's a lot more internal and about the way the perception of Hill House twists the mind of Eleanor. And what I appreciated about this movie is that the screenwriter and the director seem to understand that. Like, they really wanted to capture what the uh, essential terror of Haunting of Hill House is. And it was a very close look at uh, Eleanor. So, right. you know, I, I appreciated that part of it for sure. 
I, the big scares come from the characters, right? Like exactly. it's like the characters being in peril, the characters being scared. And I think that 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 pays off big time in this movie. Like you said, there's no spooky ghost coming through. That's like the tension. And like even we love Flanagan's adaptation, but Flanagan's adaptation, it, it's doing both. But it leans heavily on a lot of like scary, like, oh, just to think of one. The fact that the door stuff, of yeah. course, comes from it comes from the book. But to see it adapted so well and to see the bending door and the way that, that the handle's cool. turning and stuff like that stuff really works. And it's like, well, that and they, they leaned into like, there's kind of a face in this wallpaper and there's right. like this mirror is dirty. And so when you look through it, 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 it makes the room feel dirty. And like, there's all these little things that they're leaning on to make it subtle in a way that, um, really is is reminiscent of the book and in a way that Flanagan's adaptation as much as we liked is not like that really it's 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 just a lot more modern it's definitely like modernized and then it's it's of course really really big on characters in that as well I don't want to take that away from Flanagan's adaptation yeah. it's just the fact that they had the access to the technology and they could make these scary things they yeah. wanted to lean on that as well like jump scares and things popping out and creepy stuff yeah uh, whereas this is more like you know of that that unknown quantity time period where it's like alien and things like that, where they don't show it very often or they don't show it at all in some horror films and the way that that ramps up the tension. And, and uh, you know, sometimes that can, that can be a letdown because people have expectations going into a movie. But if you, if you find the right balance and it's, it's rewarding like this is, I think even in the end, you're like, wow, like Hill house is scary because it, you know, if you go there, you'll spiral and then you'll start to feel like the thing that you want is to, to be there at the house. And then you see what happens to Eleanor. Yeah, I mean, which which is like, I don't know. I love that so much in the book. So it's very cool to see that on screen. Um, so I, I was think thinking, we, if, if you have any more filmmaker stuff, we can talk about it now. But I wanted to talk about each of our leads and like how yeah. we felt they did with, with each character. I have just a couple other things. Just the the set design was something that was that was speaking to me a lot in this, and I feel yeah. like this is a blueprint that you see going forward for haunted house films. Like you think of like haunted mansion for sure. And I, I was wondering, like, did you see was this filmed on like a real house? Because when they're on the exteriors, it it looked really interesting. Like it was like, is this a model or is this real? The way the sky was behind it almost looked unnatural. So yeah. I wasn't sure what was going on there. So the externals were. They were actually a location somewhere in England. The way that they achieved that weird look is they shot it on IR film or infrared film. And um, it's like it cre- it makes it so that like certain things pop out and some certain things are more dulled. So like you're seeing how crisp and how interesting the house looks. And then the background looks a little like foggy and weird like you're talking about. And people that's like an iconic shot because of that. Yeah. Interesting. And then they, they, again, like we mentioned on the thing, they had a, some sort of really cool effect on the title card when it shows up and it was all swirly and then it coalesced into the haunting. And I'm like, they had to do that practically. I always have to think about that. It's yeah. so cool. Like I can't, I, I wish that like in another life I would have just been like a title creator to just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Those are so cool that they do that practically. Yeah. So one thing we have to talk about is Shirley Jackson, because this came out like four years after the novel, which is wild to wow, think about. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Good point. So director Robert Wise read a review of Shirley Jackson's novel, The Haunting of Hill House, in Time magazine and decided to get the rights to the novel. He later met the writer herself to talk about ideas for the film. He asked if she had thought of any other titles for the novel because the title would not work for the film. She told him that the only other title she had considered was simply The Haunting. So Wise decided to use that for the film. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it works okay. There is an interesting 
decision to make things more accessible, which I get. Um, I noticed it also in the opening, right? Because the opening of the film, almost identical to the opening of the book, which is so iconic, but they omit the Katie dids and the, you know, it's like, it's like this kind of weird line from the book gets, gets changed. Um, and it, it's, again, it's like, I think it's because some people just don't know what that is. And they're going to be like, what are you even talking about? And so they didn't want to start the movie off that way. But I don't know. I, li- I, I like that sort of um, discombobulation you have at the start of the book when you're like, what is it even talking about? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and you lose a little bit of that. So I kind of missed it. Yeah, the we'll have to talk about the VO here in a second, but um, I wanted to talk about Jackson's reaction to the film. After okay. seeing it, she told a reporter it terrified her. She said, quote, I couldn't believe that I had written this. Off record, nice. she wasn't thrilled with some plot changes, but she loved the deadly edifice itself, represented in exterior shots by Eddington Hall, a gothic mansion near Stratford-upon-Avon. Yeah. Okay. So that's the the place in England you're talking about. Yeah. I, I mean, I totally agree. There was some changes, some changes to the characters slightly, um, and and the way they were portrayed. Um, so it's interesting she picked up on that. And and yeah, I mean, she wasn't happy with those plot changes. Um, maybe it's a good thing she didn't see Mike Flanagan's adaptation. Yeah. Right. He <laughs> really ran with it and changed <laughs> Almost. it a lot. Because um, honestly, I felt like they were pretty minor as far as adaptations go. Right. Um. You know. But it, it is. It that's. It happens, right? You're you're trying to condense a novel into a two-hour film. I think as much as I like this, it's hard to capture what Shirley Jackson was achieving because it's something that I haven't read in a lot of stories also. It's very, like, the way that it's representing the the terror is, like you said, like, disorienting us with the medium in ways and, and like, sort of confusing us and, and, like... That, I guess he tried to do that with as much as he could with his camera work and some of the sound design and stuff. Yeah. But to me, like it would have been really difficult to capture what what Shirley Jackson was doing. The interiority of the novel is something that fiction does really well. And we talked about how the prose itself is a window into Eleanor's mind as she's like losing it, essentially. And I think the decision to go with voiceover was made in an attempt to mimic that. And I think at times it works, even if, especially early on, I was like, ooh, I don't know if I like this. Um, but by the end, it kind of won me over because I saw that they what they were able to do with the voiceover was to try and as best they could to mimic that. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I understand why the decision was made. Yeah, which is all you can really do, right? Is like trying to represent the words exactly and getting the internal thoughts, you have to do VO. And I think I think it's good for this. I think it worked for this adaptation. Um, but sometimes VO, you know, it's just like you're just telling people stuff at some point. It could just yeah. be exposition. So it's 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 difficult to walk that line. Well, and like we just covered Dune, and one of the things that we praised about it was it didn't do VO. So like right. it, it can be done. You can have interiority, and you can do it with subtleties of performance. Um, it's difficult to do with this story in particular, though. So I, I, I don't. Yeah, I'm not comfortable enough to say you should never do VO in an adaptation or you should always do VO in an adaptation. I think I think neither statement is true. It's going to depend heavily on on the material and what you're trying to accomplish with it. Definitely. Yeah. So a couple of their movies that he directed uh, that I thought were notable uh, Andromeda Strain, which is something that we might cover at some point. It's the 1971 film. This is the adaptation of Crichton's novel, right? Right, and then also uh, he. This isn't. This is not an adaptation, but he actually directed Star Trek: The Movie, the first one. Oh, okay, interesting. Nineteen seventy nine. I think I've seen that one. Yeah, 
Yeah. Also, The Day the Earth Stood Still, 1951. Wow. And now that one we might cover. That's an adaptation. Exactly. Okay, yeah. so we might we might return to this filmmaker on the main feed. That That's cool. We might, yeah. Um, so yeah, it. it's really interesting to see that he he was a, a genre guy. Like, he did horror, noir, western, war, science fiction, science fiction musical, yeah. drama. Um, it's really awesome to see someone like that uh, in the 60s and 70s. Also, he received the Lifetime AFI Lifetime Achievement Award in 1998. So nice, yeah, well deserved. It seems like. Uh, well, speaking of of sort of legendary figures, uh, I was looking through the uh, performers in this, the actors, and a lot of them have had these storied careers. Um, and I want to talk about all of our leads, but before we do, I want to mention a one-off. I saw this <laughs> a flash of this person who looked really familiar. Um, this woman at the beginning who falls down some stairs. I believe um, that that is a uh, Ava Gardner. I believe that's really? Ava Gardner. When I look at, I see on the cast list, she's listed in the cast, but is I, I am not seeing a credit as to what she, who she played. So I'm like, that must be her, and I think that's who it was in this face. Anyway, Ava Gardner is like a pretty famous figure in like classic yeah. Hollywood. So I just thought it was interesting that she had like a small role in this cameo movie. role. Yeah, yeah, almost. A cameo. Was this? I, I wonder where this would fall within her career. Yeah, it was in 60, so it looked like, I think it was actually, she was pretty well established at this point. So I think yeah. it was more of a cameo, like, uh, holy crap, that's Ava Gardner, and then she dies. That's cool. I'd be interested <laughs> to see if they'd worked together before. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so, so, but let's talk about our, our our leads, because I think all of them I have thoughts, right? Okay, so uh, let's start with uh, Dr. Markway, uh, which was a change from Montague, I believe, in the in the book. I uh, don't know why they changed that, but it, they did. And um, I, Richard Johnson is the actor who plays him and uh, definitely thought he did a good job. He was very old timey in a way that reminds me of like a certain generation of men. Um, yeah. And there's there's just this funny like cultural thing, I guess, that was going on where it was like, OK, to just grab women by the arms and like move them around and like treat them like their children. And he does a little bit of that. Um, which is very odd. And like, and whenever he did it, it like made me physically like cringe. I'm like, Oh, don't do that. And, but it was like, fine. Cause that's like what you did back in the day. You just grabbed women by the arms and like told them go to the other room or whatever. It's so <laughs> like, interesting too, because it's like, of course there was like domestic violence was, was pretty prevalent in the home, but it's interesting absolutely. too, because a lot of films of the time like like had these like dramatic moments where it's like, you got to grab somebody by the shoulders or grab their arms and yank them around and get, get dramatic and yell in their face. That's the way that film is a reflection of culture, but also can reinforce things, right? Right. And yeah. you could tell that the, the the screenwriters have encountered this in their lives, and they've internalized it in a way where they're like, "This is okay in a situation where you need to like assert some sort of control. Someone's being a little bit hysterical, perhaps." Um, to use a word that is obviously very gendered. Um, and that was the way you dealt with it back in the day. Now, we don't see anyone, like, slap anybody here. But, like, in a lot of movies, you will see that, right? Like, some man will just haul off and slap a woman to, like, get her under control. And that was right. considered okay. And it was, like, a weird cliche thing that they would just do for whatever reason in dramatic, yeah. like, scenes. I don't know. And, 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 like, I'm sure that it wasn't okay in, on some level. And it was that thing where they're like, but in this situation, it's okay. So I'm going to put it in the movie and, like, I don't know. It's 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 a, a weird remnant of the time that I definitely picked up on. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he wears this like corduroy suit, head to toe corduroy, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. I have a corduroy jacket that I actually got recently that I really like. Um, and just seeing the corduroy pants with the corduroy jacket, I'm like, that is such a look. I kind of wish I had been able to see it in color because I'm like, what color is this suit? I don't know. I'm really yeah. curious. Probably brown, right? I don't know. Brown, tan, dark, you know, like somewhere <laughs> in there. That really puts a, like, if he's wearing a tan corduroy head to toe suit in, throughout this movie, that really puts a spin on that character that I wish I could have uh, could have seen. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, he he was interesting, right? Like, he's very professional. I like, first off, I like the um, supernatural investigation angle of the book. I love it so much, and it's cool that it's in this in this movie. It reminds me of one of my favorite YouTube uh, channel. I don't know. It's not a channel, really. It's a series on the BuzzFeed channel. It's, uh, it's uh, BuzzFeed Supernatural. Um, and it's uh, this guy, Shane and Ryan, who go into different haunted areas and one of them is like a super believer ryan and the shane is a complete skeptic and um i I really liked that because um later on when uh uh, grace his wife shows up she is like a complete skeptic and um it reminded me of that a little bit and like obviously this is fictionalized it's gonna go everything's a little different but um I don't know. I think that stuff's really fascinating. And I'm a complete skeptic. I'm, I'm you know, Shaniac, if you're aware of how they term things in that show. Um, that's how I am, too. So, uh, it, But it's fun to see a character come in who is, like, super skeptical and, and is going to have to learn to that this is real in this world. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's fun to, like, think of it, like you said, as an investigation, even as a skeptic, because people are so, you know, because people believe it. There's part of you that's like, I mean, yeah, I would go check it out and see what's happening in a sense and, and try to see if we can figure out a logical reason for this. Otherwise, and even if there's something unexplained, even if you're a skeptic, you're like, well, that's unexplainable. It wasn't a ghost, but it was something. Well, and it engages with the viewer or, or reader's skepticism in a way that is natural within the story, right? right? Like we're talking to a skeptic character, right, on screen, but really we're talking to the audience because many of you are skeptics. But in order to get you to be afraid, we need to, like, open up just a little bit of your skepticism so that you can allow yourself to be afraid of a, of a haunted house. And uh, I think it's brilliant. And, and that's that that all goes to Shirley Jackson, uh, who was clever enough to put that in her novel. Um, so let's move on to Luke, because Luke in this movie is, I think, one of the bigger changes. He feels very different to me. Now, Luke was not completely likable in the book by any stretch. He was right kind of a dick um but this version of luke i hated (laughs) he was like he was so pompous and like he was such a like a moment in time like a like a i don't know like a frank sinatra type or like he wanted to be that i don't know what you would call that but like like that wise guy the way he cracks his jokes and he's he's kind of misogynistic he's making these offhanded comments he's always got a drink in his hand like yeah i mean he's such a character from this time period and i really dislike this guy (laughs) yeah um you know and and i felt like luke was a more nuanced character in the book where like i disliked him in some scenes liked him in others he had more of an uh relationship with eleanor Whereas it felt like they changed it a little bit and gave it more to the doctor. Like the doctor and Eleanor had more like a sort of romantic tension. That was something on. weird that we should address too. Is like that, like the, it's like this, his wife is there and they're still yeah. having these like dramatic, like holding moments, touching oh, faces. Oh yeah, he like touches stuff, like, her face. Like clearly he's got like some sort of attraction for her. Um, so yeah, and his wife's there. So like they, they introduced this element that I don't remember being present in the book. Now she definitely had an a 
Eleanor was kind of attracted to everybody, it felt like. Um, and um, I, I think that does include the Doctor, but I felt like it was more focused on Luke, who was, I think, more age-appropriate to her. Um, now, we should also mention, and, and um, I want to save I want to save Eleanor for last, but just real quick, um, the a- actor, uh, Julie Harris, I looked her up, and like she is older than... Um, she's older than the doctor. <laughs> she's older than Theo. Um, the, the actress herself is, she was just born like earlier. So I, I felt like it was kind of weird the whole time because she was acting so childish in, in, in a way. And, um, I couldn't figure out why it was striking me kind of wrong. And I think it's because like, you can look at her and tell she's older than some of these people. And so it was weird to see her acting in such a sort of a younger role. Like she was acting as if she was younger. Now maybe back in the day, this wasn't as apparent, but now that we have like HD, um, you can really tell, but um, maybe that's why they felt like they could do this sort of a Dr. Dr. Eleanor romance tension because they were around the same age. Whereas I think in the book it was a, a bigger gap and it would be even creepier and weird. It didn't make any sense to me. I, I didn't want it to happen and I was bummed when it was happening. Like yeah. I, just like I, I, because they're the leads of the story, they have to have some sort of tension. And I'm just like, oh, bummer. Like it's what a waste of time. Like we could have explored something else in the story, but you know, right. it's of the of the time I think. But uh, let's talk about Theodora and the relationship with Eleanor yeah. specifically. Claire Bloom, um, that was a name when I looked at it that was familiar. Um, her face seemed familiar. She was one of my favorite. Actually, you know, she was my favorite performance in the, in the movie. I, yeah, I loved her as Theo. And one of the things I loved about it is I thought she really captured the really strange kind of um, mysterious behavior of Theo in the book where you can't figure out, like, does she like Eleanor? Is she attracted to Eleanor? Is she being mean and bullying to Eleanor? Is she doing all of these things? Like, is she being affected by the house or not? It's like, it's really difficult to tell. Keeping the audience guessing, for sure. And she does that. Like, every time she was on screen, like, I didn't know what kind of Theo we were going to get in this scene. Like, is she going to be really friendly and helpful? Or is she going to be mean and bullying? Or what's going to happen with Theo in this? And, and and, And I thought there was a real sexual tension between the two of them that I think at the time was probably pretty taboo to put in a movie now they didn't lean into it heavily but i felt like it was implied enough that like she would she would look at her in ways and she mentioned Mm -hmm. her partner and i don't know there were there were moments where they would linger there goes a moment when they linger on the statue and i think it's like two women holding each other and they had talked about how oh you're this woman um and it seemed to imply that maybe there could be something there and we know that that's the thing in the book we we read about it's definitely there and i actually read something that like these actors were excited to tackle like a complex character that had especially this time period people were not as accepting of those sorts of relationships and like yeah i guess there was there was like some some memos that came down and they were like they they can play these characters but they're not allowed to touch or something like that and then they were like fuck that because they ended up touching a bunch of oh, yeah they like, absolutely many do. She, like, she like yeah theo falls or uh Eleanor like falls asleep on her at one point and stuff and they right. keep talking about sisters and i love the every time she said like oh you, you'd be like sisters she says it in a way that's almost like disgusted almost something like like that's what I have to say but I wish it wasn't that way. I don't know. It was it again this this version of Theo is interesting in in, in the same way that she was in the book. And I was really surprised pleasantly honestly that they were able to capture that so well in this movie. Yeah. Um and I I didn't even realize that I like wanted that so badly in an adaptation but it really she really nailed it. 
Yeah. Oh, I have something I wanted to mention about Luke, and then I think we should talk about Eleanor. With Luke, yeah. uh, Russ Tamblin, who plays him, actually uh, was in Flanagan's adaptation as Eleanor's like therapist. Oh, is that the guy who is Montague? Because that's that's who's her uh, therapist in in the, in the adaptation. That's I so think funny. so. Yeah, that's a cool little uh, little little nod that I totally miss um, because I hadn't seen this. So that's great. Um, and, and I think there were a few like in in retrospect references to this movie. Yes. Some of the way that those statues looked honestly felt like a reference to this movie. Definitely. Um, you know, some of the look of the house. Yeah, the scene with the door is so clearly like the yeah. same thing. The um the the way that Eleanor dances honestly um yeah was I think a reference to how it looks in this I mean she does it in the book but like the way it looked in in the nightgown and everything I think was reminiscent of this um yeah interesting um so yeah do you are you ready to talk about Eleanor let's do it yeah I have some okay, background so Eleanor again I I felt like she she was a little older than I always imagined Eleanor to be and then that kind of changes the role for me a little bit she also had that very stagey performance which at times i thought worked well and at other times was almost a detriment for me Mm -hmm. my taste yeah no i agree honestly there was a little bit of that with almost all the characters in this but yeah with this character specifically there was like this heightened uh like state of like panic at times and and like you know trying to get into that i think the actor like brought maybe a little more than was necessary just like being over the top in ways yeah i mean because when you're on stage you you kind of over over emote right right because the audience who is not in your face they're viewing from a distance needs to experience usually what you're doing um right. and so you over emote and, and i felt like she was over emoting some emotions that should be subtler Right. Uh, I actually read that Julie Harris felt so so everyone had a great time on this film besides Julie Harris. And apparently Julie Harris felt like a sense of isolation. Some of the other actors were talking about like if it was like self-inflicted, like uh, to kind of get into the role. But she felt like isolated and felt like everybody else was sort of like against her in ways. But but everyone else, the director, everyone has said the director is like a gentleman, really nice. Everything went perfectly, would look out for the actors. But something about what was going on, I guess, and it reminds me of other movies like um, like The Shining, where we we hear about Kubrick torturing his actors. The actor was antagonizing, but but, you know that that it's not a director antagonizing as much as like there's this experience that an actor's having on set, and I do think some of that shows comes through in the hysteria scenes, but at the same time, like I don't know that I I feel like it might be one of those stories that gets like told and then told again. It's game of telephone, and it becomes like kind of blown out of proportion. It becomes legend for the for the movie because from what I understand, like. She yeah, it felt isolated and felt it, like it different of, than everybody else. It kind of too perfectly lines up with Eleanor in the book. Um, where like I could see it, like right, like you read, like she probably read the book. She she's inhabiting this role and trying to get in this mind space. And Eleanor is isolated from everyone else, and she begins to bond with the house as opposed to the people. And that's like a lot of the problem, right? Is that she she begin she becomes loyal to the house instead of to the group. And it's funny that she would say that she was feeling that way. And, and it's almost like, is she playing that up a little bit for the mystique of the film? Right. I don't know. And I think that might be part of it. But there, I will say, like, 
if you're the lead in a film, a lot of times you have scenes by yourself, whereas yeah. everybody else is always in a scene with somebody else in this film for the most part. And she did uh, have a lot of scenes like that where she's like off on her own. She's having voiceover and she's doing that thing where she's like, I'm thinking a thought and I'm nodding along to it. And then I have a th- in my thought, I'm like, oh, but what about this? And then I'm going to like make my face kind of look confused. And like that was the kind of stuff where at times the VO felt too much. Um, like I prefer a VO that is almost disconnected from the performance on the face, um, because it gets, it gets a little weird to me when that, when those two things line up. Yeah, I agree. And, um, okay. But I mean, so overall though, I thought she was good and I I thought the VO work early again was rubbing me the wrong way. She's on the drive and she's having these thoughts and they're showing her reactions as she's looking at the stone lions, which I was actually quite delighted made it into the movie, um, that, that detail, um, and I was like, I don't know about this VO. Um, but as the movie progressed, it, it set up the fact that we're going to continue to have her VO where she starts thinking through why she is now feeling more at home. She's feeling accepted. She's feeling sort of bonded to the house in a way that is essential to the story working. And um, it won me over. And and I, and again, like her performance, even at times it was a, a bit much there were also moments where she's sort of losing herself to the house where I thought it was nailing it. And I thought it was actually quite good. Um, so yeah, I really overall enjoyed her performance, even if I you know, had some quibbles and it was a bit odd to see her. She's like, I think she's like six years older than Theo. And I thought it was odd to see Theo um, interacting with her in a way where it seemed like she's the much older, wiser woman. Um, and that's the implication I always got from the character in the book. And yet, um, you know, obviously she's six years older than her, so it just yeah. looked a little it's odd. It's funny, I, I didn't really pick up on the age as much as I picked up on like the the characters that they were portraying. Like like I I I, I like I can see what you're saying now that I know their ages, but yeah. I just assumed that, like you said, her character is a little more like innocent and like uh younger feeling. And, and, and so Do you remember in the book, like cause to me, like it was it was that was present for yeah. for Eleanor. But I don't remember thinking Eleanor is just so naive in the book. I feel like she was a little bit, but she was definitely a little bit. But it, it seemed almost like, again, like they played that up even more and made her even more naive and like uh, not worldly. I don't know. Like uh, Eleanor in the book was more clever, I right. think, than this version, whereas yes. this version truly felt like. I'm going to get swept up in the house. I'm going to I'm going to lose all sense of self. And and there was more of a self awareness in the Eleanor in the book that I remember at least. And, I agree. And because yeah. of that, I think I liked Eleanor more in the book and, and and sort of empathized with her more than this version of Eleanor. Whereas this version of Eleanor felt like she got herself into trouble. And when she died at the end, um, I think the attitude of the film mimics how I was feeling about it because the characters, I was kind of shocked with how little they react to her dying. Seriously, like, the doctor feels her pulse. And he's like, "Well, she's dead." And then they gonna... stand up and they're like, "Now let's talk about what happened here." She did this to herself. Hill House is a dark place. I think it should be. Bur-. And like, the, and I'm like, "There's a dead person." Like, she just fucking died, and you're standing by her corpse right now. I thought like, Theo specifically was going to have more of a reaction to. Yeah. Instead, she and and part of that is maybe some direction, some stuff like that. But and some of maybe something of the time. I don't know. If maybe like they hadn't. I don't know, like there's just different attitudes towards death. But 
ultimately, I think it also represented a little bit of the, the difference in the character because I think you are supposed to feel a little bit like she did this to herself. Um, whereas I felt nothing but sadness for Theo, or sorry, for Eleanor at the end of, of the book. Um, and so there's, that's, a, that's a slight change too. But again, I mean, I, I liked it and, I, and it was cool seeing even down to that crash um, it happening. I mean, I think the only major scene that I, that I missed... And I understand why they didn't do it because it would be very difficult with the the uh, technology at the time. Was that um, walk in the garden where the world goes wild, right? Like everything shifts yeah. and becomes dark, and there's figures and there's like something chasing them, and all of that. Um, I love so much in the book, and I think that whole sequence gets omitted. Um, and it's also the paranoia where she starts to think that um, Luke and Theo are laughing at her. And like maybe having some sort of relationship form. And it's unclear whether or not she's jealous of Luke or if she's jealous of Theo. You know what I mean? Uh, because you don't know where her attraction lies. And like that kind of stuff is 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 a bit lost here because we don't get that scene. And maybe that's what Shirley Jackson was reacting to. Um, was the, the sort of omission of that. Um, which does change the character a little bit. I was amazed in the book how much tension could be in a scene where you're just hearing pounding outside of the room and you're huddled together like wondering what's happening. Right. And I, you know, I'll be damned if they didn't achieve that in this movie, like multiple, there's a couple different scenes where there are people huddled in a room while there's noises outside of the room. And there's like something rattling the handle. And each time I felt like they did a great job of achieving that tension and, yeah. and making it really amp up. And I think um, you're so. by, by picking up like that, that pounding that you're talking about, like, I'm glad you mentioned it on the episode because that was one of the major keys to the tension. And a lot of the scenes for me, I was like, damn, this is like frightening, you know, it's a little, and it, you, you know, it sounds like a drum. It's like a drum far away or something like that, but it works. It clearly because wasn't like, somebody like banging on a wall in the house itself in right. a way that you could go like, oh, that's somebody banging on a wall in the hallway or banging over here, which is kind of what I was imagining in the book. But instead, this was like a disconnected, yeah, like a drum or a pounding that it could almost it sounded like it could have been a creature, like a giant creature's footsteps or something crazy. Like, like you don't yeah. know what it is like. Yeah, I mean, and, and that paranoia of, of Theo, because I think in the book, Theo gets convinced that it is Eleanor doing this yeah. at one point, and And we lose some of that. Um, so, so yeah, some of that stuff is lost. There's but. a little bit of that in the film, like with, with the chalk on the wall, I think Theo yeah. like does think does kind of lean towards, uh, Eleanor, maybe ha having written that up there and Eleanor's like, no, it wasn't me. Yeah. Um, one, one line I gotta, I gotta point out, and this is going to be only, this is only going to appeal to people who have a very similar taste in music to me and have heard similar songs, but there is a song called supercharger heaven by white zombie. Um, which begins with the quote, I know the supernatural isn't something that's supposed to happen, but it does happen. And I had never knew where that line was from. And then I saw this movie and it comes out of the doctor's mouth. And I was, I had to, I paused it and I was like, why is this line standing out to me? And I had to like, like go through my memory and realize it was from a song and I've heard it a hundred times, you know, or more in this song. Um, so anyway, if you happen to know the song, you'll know what I'm talking about. And that's from this movie, which is awesome. Was cool. I love when that kind of stuff happens too. It's so fun. We just had that with Dune too. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, any other little details you want to get in here before we finish this thing up? Uh, not really. I, I'm just like, I was pleasantly surprised. A lot of this was straight from the book. And I think to see that sort of adaptation, especially at this time 
was very cool. And and like I said, the, the experimental things they were doing f- for this film, it was a fairly large budget film for the time. And to see them play with with the, you know, the framing, the lens choice, like they had like anamorphic lenses that were creating like a bending effect in some. So some I wanted scenes. to ask you a, a, a kind of a filmmaking question about that, because there was a couple of scenes where Eleanor would walk towards the camera and the the either other actors or or just the the background would go dark as she was approaching the camera and it would isolate her and separate her from what else was going on and i couldn't tell if they were physically like dimming the lights behind her on the set or if it was a, a effect of maybe like the light was bright as she approached the camera and because it focused on a brightness it makes the background seem dimmer um, do you do you have a yeah. guess as to what was going on there? I mean, it's it's a so you're exposing film at this time period, so it's a little different. It's okay. still still the same in th- in like the idea. What I think it was because I know what you're talking about. I do think there was like some dimming that went on in the room as after as she left. But more than anything, I think that light source was mostly in front of them. So when she's close to the other characters, everyone's well lit. She starts walking, and the light source is moving with the camera. And then okay. that way, like, it's like, you know, there were probably other lights in the scene, like I said, and they were dimmed as as they were walking away as well. But like that specific light source that's on her as she's walking into the hallway and then yeah. the, the scene behind is no longer lit. I think that's probably how they got most of that. Yeah. And, and one, another thing I was thinking of was like how there were some shots here that I wasn't used to getting in a film from this era. And I was thinking about how size of camera, right, is something yeah. that has evolved so much over time. and. There was a shot where she's running down the hallway and we're like really low in a room and we see her from underneath as she's entering the doors. And I was just thinking about how that stuff was hard to do back in the day because the cameras were so big. Um, So it was cool that they were able to achieve that. We have to talk about this too. The spiral staircase is like a direct reference that Flanagan did to this film. Like no question. It looked idea. Yeah, it looked almost the same. Exact same thing. But the uh, spiral staircase, the camera like ascending the staircase like very quickly they did that by creating a makeshift dolly track and the camera was attached to the rail and then like slowly it was allowed to slide down and then they just reversed it to to show it a high speed going up so basically like it just like the camera grinded down the, the spiraling staircase and they reversed it that's so cool yeah uh, yeah, so the only other couple of notes I wanted to mention here, um, I think I noticed there was a scene where they even had Eleanor with her thumb in her mouth um, and I even saw some spit come out of it when she took her thumb out, which again, I don't know if you would notice that in like standard definition back in the day, but I was like, okay. So th- I-, I felt like they were really leaning into that childlike, um, uh, effect. And then, um, what, I mean, which is cool. It just, I think it further backs up my perception of what they were doing with the character. And then the only other thing I want to talk about is, uh, the wife, which I don't think we, we really mentioned grace. Um, she comes and she stays there and then she disappears and she's sort of lost in the house and then she appears she like at one point her face comes into the into this like uh, window while they're up there on the staircase in a shocking moment and she looks wild right like she looks like i couldn't tell them i was like is that supposed to be a ghost and then i was like wait no i think that's the wife and um when she kind of appears out of the darkness definitely startling and then again right when she's about to crash into the tree there's just this woman running through the woods (laughs) yeah Um, and i was like what the fuck like very surprising and then she shows up and like talks through what's been going on and, and um, clearly sort of just lost it from the house. Um, and, you know, the skeptic character has completely lost lost it. 
Um, so I don't know. I, I, it's, I feel like that's a slight change on the character in the book who did some similar things, but definitely a little bit of a change. Um, what, I don't know. What did you think of that, that difference? I thought it was very interesting. The trap door moment where she like pops out and she's like covered in she's so apparently she gets lost, right? Like she the house like is calling to her and then she goes and gets lost and eventually like opens the trap door right in time to scare them on top of the staircase. Um, and then she fa- Eleanor faints because of that. Uh, and like this idea, I-, I think it added to the tension. I think that that's what they did with this character. They decided to make a choice to say, all right, let's let's throw her in this place. Boom, jump scare. Let's throw her in the like running through the woods. Boom, jump scare. And honestly, and then they were able to ex- like explain it in a way that was satisfying enough. I think it worked. I, li- I kind of yeah, liked it. I think it worked too. I thought it was pretty cool. And, uh, uh, you know, overall, this movie works and I can see why it's well regarded. I enjoyed it. I'm glad I've seen it now. It's one of those movies apparently that you need to see before you die. And I, I you know, I agree. It was good. It was fun. And it's it's a cool look at, at film history in a way that a lot of times we we cover here and I'm learning something about myself. I think in these bonus bonus episodes we do, I much prefer to watch a well-regarded older film that maybe has like started to fade from public consciousness. Um, than like a new film that's just bad. And that's why people don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a certain fun in that sometimes too. Um, and you can dig into why it's so bad and stuff, but like, I, I, I don't know. I really liked watching this. And I'm realizing that I enjoy these kind of throwback episodes. I'm glad, dude. We're, we're gonna know. we're gonna get you to watch all kinds of old films and old foreign foreign films. It's <laughs> I, I love that because that's something yeah. that I preach a lot too. And it's tough to get people to actually engage with this sort of material because people of different generations and stuff. Like it's it's tough. Uh, in a lot of ways, has stuff in there that I was not expecting for a movie from this era. Um, very fun. So I do recommend it. And until next time, keep adapting. <laughs>